Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Sahara Rose DeVore. And before we get to Sahara, I have a few announcements. And by that, I'm talking about the website. That's TravelTalesPodcast.com. There you can find photos that I've taken, photos of some of the guests. You can find articles that I've written, articles that some of the guests have written. You can find links to their social media, and you can find links to our social media. And by that, of course, I'm talking Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. You can follow us on all those formats, and I would appreciate it. There are also links to Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio, and we're also on iHeartRadio and Spotify, basically anywhere you get your podcast. So if you can subscribe on those formats, and if you could, leave us a good rating because that helps more people find the show, boosts our presence there. That's cool for you to do. I would appreciate it. If you think you'd be right for the show, or maybe you know somebody who might be right for the show, maybe you have some things you want to ask me, some travel questions, or maybe you want to say nice things. Write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, Sahara Rose DeVore calls herself a wellness travel coach and consultant. She's founder and CEO of the Travel Coach Network. You can find that at the TravelCoachNetwork.com. Her website is SarahRoseTravels.com. Instagram, she's Sarah Rose, the Travel Coach and the Travel Coach Network. She's on Facebook. Go ahead and find her. She's doing a lot of work in the travel field. She's a travel consultant, which I learned is different than a travel agent. She reached out to me with an email, but I had already been following her on Instagram. And I kept meaning to write her and ask her to be on the show. But she beat me to it. We did this over Zoom from her hometown in Milwaukee, a town I know very well by almost being born there, but also being from Chicago and working and playing up in Wisconsin Oh, for most of my life growing up. Anyway, she really caught the travel bug over 10 years of basically backpacking around the world, going to over 80 countries. She used everything she learned to create a business for herself in the travel industry, which I think is a pretty cool thing. So it was a pleasure meeting her, and I enjoyed our chat, and I hope you will too. Please enjoy my conversation with Sahara Rose DeVore. Okay, Sahara Rose DeVore. Did I say that right? Sahara, yeah. Sahara. For so long, I mean, I've followed you online, and for the life of me, I thought it was Sarah. I Sarah? Was like, oh, yeah, you must have gotten that your whole life. Oh, yeah. I've gotten everything but Sahara, so I'm pretty used <laughs> to it. <laughs> were your parents uh, just fans of the desert, or just like they're from the region? or? Uh, my mom. So I'm an only child, and so I grew up just with my mom. And she, when she learned that she was pregnant, she learned that she was having a girl. One of her best friends was from a Persian family, and he had a niece named Zahara with a Z, and she mm -hmm. really liked it, but she wanted it to be a little bit more Americanized and put an S on it. It just happens to also be a Sahara desert, but <laughs> there's a Sahara flower in the Middle East as well. And so her favorite flower is a rose, so she named me Sahara Rose. <laughs> oh, that's a nice story. <laughs> where did you grow up? Uh, my hometown in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's where I'm back here right now. Hey, I was born in Port Washington. Oh yeah. Just north of Milwaukee. Yep, we lived there yeah. till and Mil we lived there in Milwaukee till I was four, and then we moved to Chicago. So. Do you ever? I, I used to live in Chicago as well. Um, I went to university there, so I lived there on and off for seven years in between my travels. Do you ever make it back to the Milwaukee area or Wisconsin? Uh, not as much anymore, but I used to do it. You know, I played every town in Wisconsin doing stand-up in the 90s. So, oh, uh, look at that. <laughs> yeah. So I did. The, I used to do the Comedy Cafe in, uh, on Brady Street down there all the time. It was one of my favorite clubs. It's gone now, far, far before <laughs> your drinking age. But uh, yeah, no, I loved it. You know, it's, uh, you know, Milwaukee's great. I went to summer camp up there. I spent a lot of my life up in Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin's a good state. It's uh, quite underrated, but Milwaukee's a good city as well. Yeah, did you go to DePaul? Uh, no, I went to Roosevelt oh, okay. um, on Michigan Avenue for hospitality and tourism. Oh, 
How ironic that that's where you ended up. <laughs> so I read a little well, bit. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I was going to say, I started at Arizona State uh, for two years and then ended up at Roosevelt. So I got a little bit more specific in what I was studying. <laughs> okay. If you went to Arizona State for two years, there's a couple different ways this could have gone. The obvious one is that you partied too hard and said, you know what, I got to get serious. Arizona State's kind of known for that. Yeah, it is why I did go there. Uh, so if you're from <laughs> if you're from Milwaukee, you majority of people go to Madison. And Mar- Madison is in rivalry with ASU for party schools. And I said, I've spent at the time, 18 years of my life with the same people in the same town. I don't want to go there. So I, I said, it. I need some warmth. And so I said, I went to ASU, but yeah, it, it, you, you get a little bit off the beaten path <laughs> a little bit for your first couple of years. <laughs> yeah. In the Midwest, like, so outside of Chicago, where I grew up, if you like the kids who could, who could even leave the state, you know, if they could afford it, uh, if they wanted to the party, they either went to Arizona State or uh, if they like to ski, they went to Boulder. They went to Colorado. Yeah. But those Colorado, those, are, those were the two like dream country. party destinations. Yeah. You can honestly like there was a, a handful of kids that, from my school who went to ASU the year I did. And also I met a lot of people from uh, Chicago and the Midwest when I was living there. Oh, yeah. Ninety percent of them moved back to the Midwest. <laughs> So it says something about the Midwest. So um, first of all, you should say your business that you're in. You're a travel coach. Didn't know really what it means. So maybe you can clear it up. It's not a travel agent. It's Mm -hmm. not a travel influencer, which is a term I hate, but we'll uh, we'll use it anyway. But uh, what is a travel coach per se? Yeah. So I started, I'm a wellness travel coach and consultant myself, but I started the, founded the Travel Coach Network. And within that, there really wasn't when I started uh, in 2019, there weren't many travel coaches, you didn't see the words very much, um, but it's grown tremendously. And there's a big difference between it. Just travel agents are your typical travel agents who plan book trips, create their itineraries, um, have certain certifications or qualifications for all of that. A travel coach, on the other hand, is someone who actually is helping people use travel as a tool for personal growth, their goals, whether it's to go on a solo trip that they are have limiting beliefs about, um, helping women who travel post-divorce use travel as a kind of that, that vessel for them to get that new inspiration in life. All of the reasons why we take travel, why we travel in the first place as human beings, travel coaches just really bring that to life for people who aren't really self-aware about why they want to go on a trip. Was this a, a school? Because you offer like classes and things for other people to do this, correct? Yeah. So I founded when I founded the Travel Coach Network, I designed the Travel Coach Certification Program. And essentially, I started that when because I had many people reaching out when I was talking about being a wellness travel coach. I focus, my clients are in the corporate space, but I didn't have anywhere anywhere to point them to. So I said, why not create that platform myself and design the certification program, which two years ago, I believe it is, got accredited by the International Coach Federation. So now I help people find their inspiration to start and build their own travel coaching business. Okay. And this is something people can do out of their homes and everywhere yeah, else. Yeah, right? yeah, just on their computer. Very COVID friendly. Very good. Yeah. The <laughs> it's it's been very, very well since the pandemic. Um, I have a two very untraditional white, non-traditional um business models that the pandemic actually helped. So a lot of people who they know I have some sort of travel business, friends and family, and they're like during the pandemic, oh well you know, how's business? It must be a a complete stop. And I'm like, my business has skyrocketed once the pandemic hit because of the creative approach that I have with uh, wellness travel and travel coaching. How long would it take for people to go through this training and like get their own? Is there a degree at the end or what is it? A a certificate, a plaque? It's a a certificate. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, the, Every, it's it's a program where they can go at their own pace. There's not a time limit to start and stop, but some people finish it right away because they dedicate their time to doing the program. Some people take a little bit longer. Um, and so if they wanted to do it right away, usually it takes about two, three months to go through the program. Um, but again, there's no time limit on it. Okay. Uh, you can plug it too. I mean, where would people, we can get your plugs out of the way right now. Where, where would people find you and uh, sign up for this? 
Yeah, the we're on the travelcoachnetwork.com. You can find us on there. You can find us at Travel Coach Network on Facebook, Instagram as well. Okay. So I saw in your bio that this kind of sprung out of some really long 80 plus country journey you took. Tell me about that and when you did that. Yeah. So when I graduated from university in Chicago in 2010, I, I've i always struggled with mental health issues. So anxiety attacks and depression. And so at 22 years old, now finishing college, there's a, there was a lot of pressure to quote unquote, figure out my life. And I've always been a very intuitive person about what makes me happy and what I want to do and what doesn't, what I don't want to do. And I knew working in a corporate job, there's many opportunities in Chicago I could have taken in hospitality and tourism, but I knew sitting in a a cubicle wasn't going to be for me or having someone dictate when I could take a a vacation or not was not going to make me happy. So I took an unconventional route and I packed a backpack and I bought a one-way ticket to Ireland. And I said, I'm going to do this thing that people call backpacking Europe um, by myself. And I went and I thought I was going to go for a month and a half. And I was like, when I come back after that month and a half, um, I'll find a job. I'll do what I think I'm supposed to do. And got bit by the travel bug. And I kept on going for 10 years. 10 years. Mm -hmm. I traveled to over 84 countries in a decade. Okay. But so I did the same exact thing out of college, but I had never been out of, uh, because I went to Northern Illinois, Mm -hmm. one of your, you know. Not too far from where you were. And uh, yeah, but I had never been. I did the six week, uh, bought a URL pass. And yeah, all that's that what stuff. I got too yeah. back then. Yeah. Um, but I had never been out of the country until then. Had you been out of the country before that? Um, barely. So I didn't come from a family that traveled much. My family was a very middle class family. We had got food from the, the local pantry. And mm-hmm. I didn't, like I said, my mom was a single mom. So if I didn't eat at my grandmother's house for the day, I didn't get dinner for the night. Um, so I didn't, no one traveled for business. Our extensive vacations were in the family van. We got together to drove from Wisconsin down to Southern Texas and then crossed the border to Mexico to visit my grandmother's family. She was from Mexico. And then my grandfather's family on my mom, all on my mom's side is from, he was from the French region of, um, Canada. So we would do that there, but I, barely remember any of that, um, bits and pieces of the Mexico trips. And other than that, we took a family trip uh, to Dominican Republic to an all-inclusive resort. But as you know, that was a very sheltered experience. So that was my extent of um, traveling abroad. Okay. So yeah, I mean, that was a life-changing trip for me. You know, it just blew my head wide open. But when you say you were going to for 10 years, you were on the road for 10 years or you came back, worked a little bit and kept traveling? Yeah, I came back every now and then. I never worked while I traveled. Um, and that was um, towards the second half of that 10 years was the rise of the digital nomads. So that's when people started traveling and working. Um, of course, there were ways people can make money before that. But I wanted to enjoy my travels um, and, and do what I wanted to do versus sitting on a computer. And I so I never worked while traveling. So when I did um, get close to my bank account being where I wanted it to be. When I came home, I would just come home work. I'd see my mom, it'd be the holidays. And then I'd pack a bag and go back again. Okay. So what kind of, when I think of hospitality and and people who major in that, I always think hotels. Yeah. I I always think those are the people that were working in hotels and concierges and things. Did, Did you do a lot of that work? No, I never worked in hotels. I worked in restaurants, that sort of oh, hospitality. Okay. Yeah. So living in Chicago, I uh, certain restaurants can be quite lucrative. So I was while I was in university, I was working five jobs the last two years while full time trying to save money for travel. And um, that in Chicago, you, have, you had to be 21 in order to work in restaurants. Arizona was like 18. So or like 16 <laughs> or something yeah, in Wisconsin. 12. Yeah, yeah 12, it was 11. it was like 15 or 16, but when I got to Chicago, I was applying and I got kept getting turned down and they're like finally someone was like come back when you're 21. So once I turned 21, I I found restaurants and I started making really great money and that's where I got a lot of my travel money from. And so I would go back to the restaurants in Chicago or I would um work in the restaurants in Milwaukee in the touristy areas. So and then other flexible jobs that I would do too. Any of those restaurants in Chicago still there? I wonder if I know any of them. 
Um, one was not one. You might know it. It uh, was there for, I think, 12 years. Um, it was called Japanese. It was um, right on the Chicago River. It was like the oh, hot nice. spot for celebrities and t- very touristy. So that was also I got my first case of kind of travel by talking to a lot of the international business uh, men and tourists as well while I was waiting tables. Um, but then I also worked at Smith and Walensky's and I worked at Chicago Cut, which are still there too. Okay. Right. You never took a class at Second City, did you? No, I was thinking <laughs> okay. about it though. It would be fun. That's a I rite of a passage. It. For every young person in Chicago, you got to take a an improv class I, at some point. I was looking into it. I, one day, it's like on my bucket list to do um, a, a class sometime. But I tell no people, comedian by any means. No, though. no, but they will say, and uh, I do agree. You know, having had some training and stuff like that, they there was a lot of, you know, I took a class at the Second City Workshop as well back when I lived there. But um, there was people from all walks of life, a lot of business people. But it just teaches you to think on your feet and stuff, which is something that's always useful mm-hmm. in any situation. So there was a lot of like salespeople in there, a lot of business people, um, yeah. a lot of people who just spoke in, in the office and meetings and stuff like that and just wanted to be able to do that better and just more get more comfortable in it. So there's a lot of use, uses for it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But, I think it'd be a nice challenge in yeah, there. I know. So that's why I've always been interested in that. I like getting out of my comfort zone and testing myself <laughs> yeah well you do speak and so tell me about the tedx um speech you gave so that's a pretty big deal where you you know if you can handle that that's a lot of nerve <laughs> that was a lot of nerve yeah i do a lot of global speaking for different at different events and for different companies so i'm i'm used to being on stage but the tedx was a different level um so last october i pitched and got into um a tedx and it was on Embracing travel for boosting happiness and um, uh, bringing communities more united in the workplace and outside of the workplace. And so that was um, quite the experience to stand on stage for TEDx. It was more of the red dot was intimidating versus anything else. Right. (laughs) Because it was just another talk that I practiced over and over again. (laughs) So on this long 80 plus uh, country journey, what was the longest you ever stayed in one country? Did you live uh, in one country? Um, about a month and a half is the longest in one country. I think. Okay, and where you were just kind of like traveling. What? Well, which country was it? Um, I did it in a couple countries. Um, Philippines, Thailand, and um, I was also in Argentina for that long too. Okay, the less expensive ones. That that helps. Well, Argentina is kind of, Argentina is well, not too cheap, but yeah, the, they, depends on how you want I to live. Spent, I spent a lot of my time in Southeast Asia. So yeah, yeah. that helps. That helps a yeah. lot. Um, yeah. Give me your um, scariest travel tale of one, like an incident that really sticks out in your mind going, oh man, I, I really wish I was home right now. <laughs> like I'm over it. Um. I've been pretty lucky traveling where, not lucky because I've always used my, you know, listened to my gut and did the best that I could for my well-being. So I never really had actually bad incidents or saw anything really bad. But um, um, I mean, I've definitely been in places where, you know, when I was in Sri Lanka, they they're in parts of the middle of the the country in the city of like Kandy, they had um, a lot of protests and riots going on. So the government shut down everyone's social media. So that was like the only way for me to tell my mom where I was and if I was okay. And so she got a little bit worried for a bit. Um, They literally like somehow on your apps are able to like shut it down. So that was quite interesting. And um, it was a bit of an overwhelming country for me. It's kind of an extension of India with a lot of people and traveling with anxiety. I tend to go to places where there's not many people. Oh, man. So those yeah. were pretty challenging countries to go to. Um, but I mean, there's been times where I'm just like, you know, you do get homesick. The longest stunts, stints that I did were two, six months, I think, um, were the longest, but nothing too terrible, like forcing me or wanting me to go back. I came back home because of the pandemic though. Right, right. So what was really like if you were thinking about you said this in, this trip inspired your business. What was lacking 
that you found on the road and traveling that made you want to fill a niche of something? What were you not getting that made you want to start this business? Yeah. So since I had a degree in hospitality and tourism, and I learned about all the different careers in that industry at that time, when I was traveling, I didn't right away try to find a job, but I was obviously learning about what other people were doing in the travel space. And I was looking into what else could I do for a travel related job. So I saw the things like travel writing, blogging came became something, um, uh, travel agents, of course, which transferred over to travel advisors and travel designers and travel, all these other things. Um, the rise of social media brought on the travel influencer and monetizing your platform. But there was flight attendants, but none of these things aligned with what I wanted. I didn't, I'm, I don't align with the travel influencer industry. I don't like planning and booking people's trips. Um, I, my anxiety doesn't allow for that. And I actually am afraid of flying. So I don't want to be a flight attendant on a plane all the time. So I, and I, I don't really enjoy writing despite having a book and a blog that I had <laughs> that I didn't want to be forced to do any of these things. And I said, there must be something else that I can do. And that's what inspired me to, um, you know, find this niche in the wellness travel space and, for companies and then founded the Travel Coach Network. That's funny. It's like, okay, I don't like blogging. I didn't want to do social media. I don't like flying. It's like, maybe travel is not your thing. I'm I'm starting to hear. It's <laughs> honestly like, I'm an anomaly. Like, even if you apply me to like Wisconsin, I don't drink beer. I don't like cheese. And oh my God. I don't really care about Packers. About the Packers and uh, yeah. no fishing, and no I hate hunting. Cold weather. Deer so, hunting is out. Uh, cheese curds. No, uh, I hate it. <laughs> I don't like cheese curds, <laughs> so I don't know where I belong they, in this world. They but forced it's not, you out I of the state. Be from here, <laughs> that's what happened. They forced you out of that state. That's what happened. It was like go yeah, to Arizona. I guess so take that so, crap to Arizona. <laughs> and so I, it applies also to my travels and and my business <laughs> approach too. So I don't know. I do things, and but okay, I try different things <laughs> for someone who doesn't like flying. Um, boy, that's a tough going to 87 countries. That's, uh, that's tough. How for people who are listening, who also have that fear, how do you conquer it? What's the, what, what do you tell people? Um, well, a lot of my travels were from 20 to 30, 22 to 30 years old kind of time frame, 32. Um, so in the earlier years, I didn't really have that fear. I have, I had more of a my goal was just traveling. I was just excited to go to the next destination. Um, and honestly, like bigger, bigger planes and long haul flights are a lot less um, stressful for me because you don't feel the plane very much. It's those smaller ones yeah. and it's those shorter distances where the plane is so tiny and you can feel every bump and niche and everything that, um, but it's, um, I don't know. My goal, I had a goal in mind and it was to travel. So I knew that if I wanted to get from a certain destination that required a flight, I would have to take it. Um, I would try to do the best I could to um, travel via bus or train, not for long hauls. I wasn't, you know, most of the time I didn't travel that long. I had many <laughs> overnight buses, but not overnight trains. Yeah. Hard um, to get to the Philippines by bus. That's a little tough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I definitely took the bus while I was there, many oh, yeah. buses. But, um, I don't know. It was more of a, I wasn't going to let my fear hold me back from it despite, you know, not enjoying it. So there wasn't one like horrible flight that scared you for a little bit, the like no, bad turbulence never or something had, like that? Well, I mean, there's definitely been on flights where there's turbulence um, yeah, a lot. Sure. We all have. I think yeah. honestly, like my, the worst one was a more recent one. I flew to Palm Springs for um, a, a speaking gig that I was doing. And flying into Palm Springs uh, in this small plane in between the mountains. And it was a very, very hot day. So the winds were very high. And we were just going all over the place. And I needed to get off of that plane. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when you were traveling through, I mean, did you ever have any kind of like um, uh, medical problem? Do you ever have to go to a foreign hospital? Do you have any food poisoning? Any big story? Yeah. You would think in 84 countries, I would have gotten some sort of 
food illness or something. I mean, India, the food messed India. my stomach up for a couple days. India took um, me down. <laughs> people often get deli belly um, or bali belly, but <laughs> um, I, you know, it, India was the only time that my stomach was a little bit upset, but um, I never actually... I was very cautious, so I didn't have to necessarily go to a hospital for anything. I met a lot of travelers who were on the motorbikes in a lot of countries like Asia, where they ride the motorbikes, having to always go to the hospital because they fell or crashed because they all do. So I wouldn't ride the motorbikes because I wasn't going to allow that to happen. Um, But I do have a really, I did have a really weird um, condition that required me to get wheelchaired through four different international airports, <laughs> um, which is very odd. So as a backpacker, this is another like weird thing that doesn't fit in my story. As a backpacker, I actually can't really take an actual backpack. I did initially, but what happens is I have very odd structured bone structure in my feet. So it, um, I get hairline fractures, stress fractures on my heels. And so my very first trip, it happened to Europe, it happened towards the end and I was coming home and I didn't think anything of it. Um, my second trip, I actually took a suitcase, so I didn't experience that. And then I was going to Asia for the first time for six months and I went to Japan and I took a backpack this time, my backpacking backpack, and I had a smaller backpack on the front of me and the, I went to Japan and within a week. I felt it in both of my feet and I borrowed a bicycle from someone. So I was trying to limit the pressure on it. And I got from t- Japan to Taiwan. And the second I got to Taiwan, both of my heels cracked and I couldn't walk. And I had to get wheelchaired through Taiwan, China, um, like somewhere else. And then the States. And I was on bed rest for a month um, and had to do rehab to walk, learn oh, to walk. No. So it was the extra weight of the backpack? Yeah, it's the weight of the backpack. Um, so I always traveled with a smaller suitcase and a smaller backpack, like a school back size like backpack. A day, day pack? Uh, yeah, that I could take as a carry-on too. So that was fine. Um, and that would l- allow me to last long. But I was very naive and I was like, you know, I'm sure this condition's gone. So I when I was going to South America for six months, I said, I'm going to take my backpack again because I just miss backpacking like a backpacker. Because try taking a suitcase down gravel road, throwing it on top of buses, throwing it into a boat. Up and down stairs and train stations and everything. Cobblestone streets, brick streets. Like it was a hassle. So I was like, I'm going to take my backpack this time. And Got to Columbia and sure enough, within two weeks, I started to feel it on one side of my foot and I knew immediately I was going to have to go home and repack um, and just rest. And then I flew back to um, Central America with my suitcase. Oh my gosh. Or South America. So that brings up another thing. When you when you are traveling and, and if you're that kind of traveler that goes to all these places, I mean, there's a lot of active things you could do. It's like you stay off the motorbikes, but what do you... If are you a day hiker or do you like water things or what what are you pretty active traveler? Yeah, I'm a nature person, so I love being outdoors. Um I would I'm the person who likes to find a hiking um like a good hike that has a viewpoint. So either you can overlook the city or you can overlook like something, you know, a nice scene. Um I'm a walker. I would just walk around you know, the entire day. I wasn't someone that took many taxis or anything. Plus I was traveling on a budget. So I always felt like if you walked, you can find these little hidden gems that a lot of people would miss. Um, so just being outdoors, anything in the nature, I'm a beach bum. So I'd spend time in the ocean, um, do a lot of boating. I would do paddle boarding. Um, I tried scuba diving or I scuba dove, but then I would do, um, I, I did, oh wait, snorkeling. I snorkeled a lot, but then I did scuba diving for the first time in the Philippines. Not in a very smart way, but I tried it. (laughs) I died. Yeah, I've been diving for 30 years and I went in the Philippines and in one, I was on a trip for like a month and a half and I started diving. No, it was a three month trip. But at the beginning of that three month trip, I dove in Israel where it was Mm. all like, paperwork and I had to take a refresher dive and all this is really above board and expensive and all this other stuff. 
And then I slowly went more towards Asia. And at each stop, the uh, requirements got less and less. And I ended up, at, you know, I dove in Vietnam. And then I, I ended up in the Philippines when they, they never mm-hmm. even checked my certification card. They just gave me a boat and a, like a tank and like, here you go. Yeah. Good, good luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no. And uh, like, yeah, maybe I the lived... Philippines wasn't a good place for the first first time. Well, no, I didn't go with a diving company either. My yeah. friend just threw his pack on me and was like, go down. So oh, we were in the middle. That's safe. <laughs> we were exactly. That's the thing. Uh, since I, I lived in the Philippines for a month and a half and right after I went home from Taiwan, got better. I flew to the Philippines and I was there when the right after the super typhoon hit. So I lived on an island that um and helped rebuild stuff and volunteered and stuff. And I revisited two years later. And so some of my friends were still there living. And one of them is a diver and he we were just checking on some marine things that um the team built. So we were out on the boat for the day in the middle of the water and everyone had their scuba deer gear in. He was like, Do you want to try it? And that's when I did. Wow. For someone with anxiety, that could be a little scary. Yeah, it's it is obviously because it's it's like snorkeling too, like the breathing. You have to master the breathing, yeah. but my ears don't do very well at oh, all okay. at pressure. Um, too far under. Yeah, the pressure. I just couldn't get that released. Yeah. A lot of people who are um claustrophobic freak out. There's something I, about I yeah, with the mask yeah. and yeah, they did flip out. Um it's a lot. so yeah, I was there in twenty 20- 11 for the with the philippines i think it was where did close. you dive in the philippines uh in an island called Duma, a town called dumaguete in uh, negros oriental mm-hmm. which is uh kind of by cebu um, cebu yeah um many people go to malapasqua to go yeah. diving in into that area but for someone who doesn't you know gets anxious around people i mean you went to india china yeah. and the philippines which are like, you know, all you get to throw in Indonesia in there and then you get the most crowded places in the world. So, I mean, how do you handle, like even I, as a city person, when the first time I set foot in India, my first day, I was in New Delhi. I walked around, I lasted about 15 minutes on the street and I was like, I got to get back to my room and decompress. I mean, it's just like sensory overload. It's not just people, but there's traffic and there's noise and there's smells and there's animals and this everything going chaos around you how did you handle it yeah it was a lot that's exactly how it yeah is sensory overload um and so someone dealing with anxiety um and it wasn't easy but i don't know i was there on the adventure i actually i didn't spend too much time so i landed in uh, mumbai and then I went down to Goa. So I went down to a beach area where it was a little bit less crowded. There was more tourists um, there, but it was a lot less crowded than the city. Um, but it's kind of hard to escape all of the, like all these busy areas. So I spent time then in um, um, Bangalore because I met a couple who lived in Bangalore um, on a boat when I was in Thailand and they invited me to stay with them when I went. So I took the overnight train from um, Goa to Bangalore, which was quite the experience. Yeah, Um, I took one of those from um, from Mumbai to Goa. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, the the toilet, Um, the toilet is the just the hole in the train. Like, yeah, I didn't we, go to the bathroom that whole time. No, I'm yeah, not going on that. Train. Oh, there's the toilet. I opened it up and it's just a hole and you can see the tracks going underneath the it. Tracks. Just, oh, great. Yeah. Okay. Nope. It just goes right down on the. Okay. This is it. Yeah. It's, um, but I mean, India, I was, it was always a place that I wanted to go. I had many friends who were from India. I was always, I really loved the color of their, their clothing oh, and their jewelry. Place. Yeah, so I was really interested to go. Um, I it was rough for me though. It was really rough. I had to really, you know, I learned a lot about my anxiety being there. And you're an, you know, you're an experienced traveler too. And so when people ask me about it, I go, you know, if they're a kind of a inexperienced traveler, 
I go, why don't you ease into India for a little yeah. <laughs> like, That's India can be, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, it, it's extreme. It's a last, land of extremes. I say it's like, it's, to be extreme oh, yeah. good and extreme bad, but um, it's still the worst poverty I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I've been to a lot of places, you know, and just um, it's hard. It's it could be hard. So it's, you gotta you gotta have a tough skin for it. Yeah, India. it's really eye opening. When I was in Mumbai, um, someone who was in the hostel I stayed at, he met a local, and he and a friend paid the local to take us to. Um, the slums that we're in, Slum Dog Mil- Millionaire. Yeah, I don't know how yeah. to. I don't know how to pronounce the name of them. It's like the s- third largest, second largest slums in the world. Um, and I know that's not the right term. I should be calling it, but I don't right. know the other name for it. But it's like a, literally a world within a world. And I, it that was a transformational experience for me. You're not supposed. You can't just go there um, on your own. You have to have a guide of some sort. So I saw a few other tours with a organized guide. Um, but this local was kind to take us and it was like that. I pretty much every week I reference my time there based on whether my family members recycle things I've seen, um, you know, how, you know, toxic things could be things I've seen there. Just the materials that we have, our, our towels, our, like hotel uniforms were made in these little shops, things that I saw and the stuff that I learned gratitude on a different level when I was there. So yeah, it's humbling. It's very humbling. For sure. Okay. So those are the downsides of what we see. And we've seen a lot of bad stuff, but let's focus on the good stuff because I hate when people go, dude, tell me your favorite country. What's your favorite country? It's like, I've been almost a hundred. I can't give you one. So why don't we break it down in a region? First of all, Asia. Is there a place that you got to and go, you know what? I could actually move here for a while and stay. Did you ever get that vibe? Yeah. And I wish I had a different answer for you, but my answer is Thailand. Yeah. And me too. the reason that I say I wish I had a different answer is because Thailand is a very comfortable backpacker country and it could be, you know, it's, I wish I had a more remote kind of unique place. But the reason being is I did live there for um, just under two months and I went back several times and traveled around Thailand, but I found that it was a very comfortable place to be for different reasons. Um, obviously, it's very affordable that you can make your dollars stretch there. I really mm-hmm. like the vibe and the people, the nature. It, it had its diversities in cities and, you know, things to do and see. And there were people that I can meet there while also being in not very touristy areas at a good combination of a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is kind of a common answer for a reason. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, the food is amazing everywhere you go. Uh, B, there is a kind of a tourist infrastructure Mm -hmm. that works kind of, you know what I mean? It's not like, um, other places where there's, I mean, there's enough hotels, there's enough guest houses, there's enough the transportation you can get around pretty easily. Um, and the people are just nice. And yeah. they call it the land of smiles for a reason, which is not the yeah. case in a lot of countries. You know, it's just like they can be pretty harsh to outsiders, you know. So, yeah, and there's a lot yeah. to love about it. It's one of my favorite places in the world for all those reasons. And the weather, of course. And I keep exactly. coming back to the food, though. The food is just so good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the weather for sure. I, I, took my mom to Thailand twice. I flew her out twice to come visit me on um, two separate occasions that I was there. So it was a place that, um, you know, I really could, there's a, um, old Phuket town is a place that not many people know about or go to. And I, I've been to found, new Phuket town and wasn't impressed. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I, when I was going back to Thailand, one of the times I was like, I'll just go back to a familiar place, which is, um, like the Quran area of Phuket, which is quite touristy and not my favorite, but I was like, I'm, I'll figure it out from there. But I accidentally booked myself in some, a place called old Phuket town. I thought it was the same thing at first when I was booking it. And so when I got on the bus in the direction to go there, I realized we're going from the opposite direction of where I thought it was going. And I arrived in this old Phuket town and it's a very quaint, colonial, colorful buildings, clean, quiet, not touristy place. 
And I was like, this is really cute, really nice. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with being able to take the tuk-tuk for 50 cents to different beaches that aren't over overly touristy. Um, you know, and I that's where I ended up having my mom come and visit me and took her around as well. So it was this little gem within Thailand that I just fell in love with. That's great. Okay, what about um South America? Where how many uh I know you went to a bunch of different places. You mentioned uh, uh Argentina before, but and then Colombia, both places I've been. I've been to most countries in South America except for I still haven't been to Ecuador. I really mm-hmm. want to go to the Galapagos. Yeah. And uh, and like Paraguay and Bolivia I haven't really been to. But the others, oh Chile. Come to think of it, I've only been to like half, <laughs> half the places now. Um it's what were you some of your favorite? Um a place that is very underrated is uh Uruguay. And oh, yeah, yeah. um there's a I spent about a month in Uruguay. And I just took the boat for 25 bucks from Buenos Aires over to Uruguay. And um, I arrived in this little town. Same thing. It's a little colonial cobblestone, colorful buildings. It's called Colonial. And um, I had a friend recommend it to me who I met when I was in the Philippines. He was from Uruguay. And he said, you should check out my hometown, Colonial. And I went and um, I traveled around via bus from there. And I loved it. It's beautiful. Um, the beaches are stunning. And I mean, it's not the cheapest, um, yeah. but it was different and yeah. it was safe. And I, I liked it. It was something that many people don't talk about. So I did a, an Antarctica cruise. Mm. and uh, From so Ushuaia? I, yeah. And then we went down there and then uh, we were coming back up. We were on our way to... Um, Montevideo and Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. So we were going to stop in the Falkland Islands on the way up, but the sea was too rough. Mm-hmm. And so we, we made an unscheduled stop like days later of rough seas and it was just horrible. Um, but we stopped in uh, Punta del Este in yeah. Uruguay. So we go from like icebergs and five days later we get off the ship and it's like Miami Beach. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really nice. And I was like, oh, this is great. Of all the unscheduled stops, so we could thank the captain. We're like, this is a nice way to leave uh, Antarctica to end up there, you know, and then we went to Montevideo, which was again, super cool. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was impressed with uh, Uruguay a lot. I think it's the richest or uh, wealthiest country in, in South America. Um, Is it? I, didn't, yeah. I don't, I'm not capita, sure. But I... I mean, GDP, but yeah, because it's small. I mean, it's pretty, it's small. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's, it's nice. <laughs> it's nice. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really cute. Um, And that's, that was the beginning of where I was starting my business. So I would just kind of hunger down in colonial towards the end and um before i had my ticket to go back to buenos aires um but yeah i really liked it i could definitely see myself staying there longer did you do much of africa no africa is the only continent other than antarctica that i haven't traveled too much on i've done um morocco in the north and south africa and that was about it okay so yeah I re- recommend that's your be your next swing. Got to get down there in Kenya and and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear great things about it. I have many friends, especially in my travel coach network. I have a lot of people who are from the area, um, or from the area from the from those countries, and I hear so many beautiful stories of what they have to offer and stuff too. Um, but I mean, as for South Africa, I thought Cape Town and the South oh, Africa. Yeah um cape town region was beautiful beautiful yeah, yeah there that's a really great place to see so many different things and beautiful beaches and the wildlife and you know it was, it was quite diverse i like it a lot right do you have um how about i mean we've all have our places in europe but uh what about you? What what are your uh, your always go tos? I mean, I always have Italy. Everybody, Italy's too easy an answer, really, but uh, it's hard not to fall back to it every time. Yeah, um, I some place that I always went back to was Barcelona. It was a good mix of a lot of things there, um, but a place that I really fell in love with on my one of the times when I was traveling the Baltic um, 
the Baltic region was Macedonia. And in Macedonia, there's a city called Lake Orid. And granted, this is years ago. So I think I heard that it's changed a bit um, with because of like the water or something. But it's it is this quaint little town. There, there's no tourists there. I heard about it from a friend who I went to high school with, who was um, in the um, um, the mayor corps. And so she was volunteering and she saw on Facebook that I was in the region and she said, go to Macedonia. And I was like, where the heck is that? <laughs> so I looked on my map and I made my way there. Granted, it was very difficult because I flew into Istanbul, Turkey on that trip, which is a cool, very cool city. Um, because of politics and their history, it's very hard to take a bus directly from one city to another. So I had to do this roundabout type of thing, but it led me to really cool places. But Lake Orid was a place that I was going to stay for a couple of days. I ended up staying for like two weeks um, and in this family owned apartment and they would invite me down to their house with their grandpa to like sip tea and they barely spoke English and they would show me around town. They were, it was so sweet. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, a, a, I always talk about that place. Lake Orid? Is that my saying that right? Yeah. O-H-R-I-D. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That sounds nice. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, there's a lot of that region I really haven't I've been to Croatia like five times, but I haven't been to like I want to go to like Albania and that kind of stuff. I've been to Romania, but I haven't been to even Serbia or um all those down there. I mean, there's some really be- beautiful oh, beach yeah. areas in Montenegro as well. Montenegro stunning. I stayed in a little castle in Montenegro and like literally they're like pay whatever you want. Like <laughs> it was it was it was really sweet. It was just beautiful down there. All the mountains and all the water and the lakes and stuff. And that's just my kind of scenery. That's what makes me happy. But um that's why I just fell in love with like Ord. It was just so serene and peaceful. It had a very much like Amalfi Coast kind of look and vibe to it. Um, but yet it was just a homey small little town. Um, very nice people. But I all that whole region down there is very underrated. But even when you do go to a country over there, there's already always so much more to go and see. Like I've been to Croatia, but I want to go to um, so many other parts of it or go to Plivitz Lake. Um, you know, I've Slovakia and Slovenia are stunning, but I haven't been to Lake Bled before. So I want to go there. No, yeah, this, uh, th- that's the problem. The more you go, the more you see you, how much you haven't seen. And, yeah. you know, and that's one thing that we all share as travelers that we're curious. You know, I think that's what defines the difference between a traveler and a tourist. Mm-hmm. Oh, for you sure. Know? What is the big thing in your business? If there's one main thing that, uh, like a mistake that people make, either when booking their vacations or wanting to take a vacations, um, is there something that you could, like, if you could erase one thing, <laughs> you could erase, maybe people have an idea, maybe they think it's too expensive. I, that's always been a theme of this show that I try to convince people. It doesn't have to be as expensive as people think it. it is. That and fear, I think. They have an unrational, irrational fear of other places, too. Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on with both of those. I mean, both of those are too kind of limiting beliefs that I always hear. I always heard those two when I was actually traveling and I'd come back home and talk about it. And they're like, oh, it's that's not safe. You shouldn't go there. I'm like, well, I did go there. And I'm telling you, it's it's safe. Like, it's fine. It was great. Um, but a lot of people have the idea that travel is going to be extremely expensive. It's something you can only do once or twice a year or that you it's going to take such a big bite out of your budget. But there's so many different ways to travel and there's so many, especially these days, ways to travel. Um, you know, I travel back then on a budget, but there's more ways now than ever and resources to travel on your own sort of budget, um, and timeframe. But, um, something that I always, I think a mistake that a lot of people do make when traveling is that they go to places based on, either if it's like seems like a deal by like a company or if it's a place that they just hear often like a touristy destination, which I don't like that just because what you, everyone's experience of a place is going to be different. So like, just like we were talking about India, just because I was overwhelmed in India 
many people lo- absolutely love the country. It's their number one country. But I'm like, it's towards the bottom of my list of my places that I enjoyed. Um, and so everyone's experience is different. But also, because everyone's paying attention to the content that's put out there on social media about destinations that I have been to places where I'm like, I saw that picture online. This is not what it's like here. You know, it's, I'm like, how do they even try to get that? Um, so it gives people this false idea of, of expectations and it's the opposite of what travel should be. Like we're talking about curiosity. So I think what people need to do is be more open-minded and more curious of where they're going versus, you know, sticking to this strict itinerary that tells them their exact plan of what to do, where to go based on other people's opinions or the information they've collected online, if that makes sense. Well, as a travel coach, do people come to you and they and maybe they'll say, you know, I just want to get away and just uh, go away from work and, and not think about anything and just lay on a beach or something. Do you go? Yeah, but there's more to it than that. I mean, there's more to travel than that. Or do you just kind of like step back and go, you know, if if that's what the customer wants, <laughs> you know, I know a beach, you could just go, you know, if you want to think anything, you know, I work on cruises and I would never take one. You know, it's not my thing. Just because yeah. I like to have control over what I do and what make my own schedule. and But some people, I get it. They don't want to do anything. Yeah. You try no, to talk I, them out of that or do you go, hey, I got to give you, if that's what they want, that's what they want, even though it's not your thing. As yeah. Coach. So as a, a travel coach, I actually don't work with individuals, but I mean, I know when I was just starting off and I did give work with people and help them get ideas, whether they're friends or family of where to go and what to do. Um, I would always do an assessment of why, like, why do they want to go lay on a beach or why do they want to quote unquote escape? Um, you, you know, what, where is that coming from? Because when you can identify your need to relax, lay on the beach or whatever it might be, there's more to that. So you can give a better recommendation on where to go and what kind of activities to do based on the feeling you're looking to achieve or the change you're looking to have in your your mindset or your daily life. It's why we go to travel in the first place is we're looking for some sort of different feeling that we have within us. We want to be inspired. We want to, you know, feel more fulfilled in life because our job's not giving it to us, or we want to not feel so crazy all the time with our daily routine. So if they can identify these underlying whys, I can give more ideas of what types of destinations to go to and whether they need to go to a place with, you know, a touristy place. Is it somewhere more serene? Is it somewhere where they can spend time in nature? And I always, as a wellness travel coach, incorporate the the mental, physical, spiritual wellness benefits of travel based on research that people might not be aware of. There's a purpose for why we crave the beach. And um, so being able to educate on that to you really helps. Okay, we're gonna do a speed round now. So sure. we're gonna we're gonna go through and blast through some quick questions and and just get a vibe on uh, some more you know fun info on you. Are you an aisle or a window person? Window. Okay. Does that comfort you as a fear uh, as kind of a shaky flyer to like to look out the window and see? Because some no. people don't want to know what's out there. They don't want to see the clouds. Um. No. I actually, I'm weird. I like to see <laughs> if we're going down. So <laughs> I don't know. I just, I want to see out the window. Um, even on that plane that I was talking about in um, yeah. going to Palm Springs, the guy, there was a guy sitting next to me at the window and I was, it was, the plane was shaking so bad. I was, he saw that I was not happy and he was asked me do you want me to shut the wind the sh- curtain and i said no no keep it open <laughs> um but no it's all it's because i'm six foot tall and i six feet tall and i don't like getting hit and bumped by the car and people <laughs> oh so you're six feet tall i didn't know so so am i and uh, i took a number of those overnight buses in vietnam and through asia and they're not built for you know, no. <laughs> six foot tall white yeah. dude. I was pretty uncomfortable. I, you must have crammed yourself yeah. into some tight spots. Yeah, I've 
I should like audition for Circus Soleil or something because I've learned to contort my body in weird <laughs> sleeping positions that people always look at me. I do it to this day. I'm crouched in weird positions because it's just second nature to me that people are like, what? Like, are, how are you comfortable like that? <laughs> Have you gotten the the uh, the creepy stares from like, you know, like walking through Vietnam? People came oh, up yeah, to me and yeah. asked take their photo oh, with sure. me. And, you know, and I've heard women say if they're like, you know, over a certain height or something, they couldn't buy any clothes in those countries because nothing fit them. <laughs> like They couldn't get anything in their size. Yeah. Um, the stairs were one of the reasons why I it, certain countries, why I say if I was comfortable, if I liked yeah. it or not there. I mean, I was, I was comfortable in places. No one was ever going to hurt me or do anything by any means. But like I don't like attend. This is another weird thing about me. Like I have online businesses and I do TED talks and all this stuff. I actually don't like attention. I'm a very introverted person. If I had a superpower, I would say I would like to be invisible and not be seen. Um, So that's hard to do when you're six foot tall from a foreign country in a foreign country. But granted, I do look like I kind of, I'm like a chameleon. I changed based on where I go in the world, they'll think I'm Russian or I'm Italian yeah. or I'm something, which is in my benefit. <laughs> yeah, dark hair. I mean, you you look. You, you, if you would have told me you were Spanish or Argentinian or yeah. Italian or anything, you kind of blend. I get I get Asian all out. I get a lot of different things. You get Asian. The, yeah, it's um the Native American. My grandma was um Aztec Native American, so her and I have very similar eyes and features. Yeah. But the six foot kind of throws that off the, a little bit. Yep, yep, yep. Again, <laughs> I'm it's an anomaly. <laughs> What's the craziest thing you ever ate overseas? Did you? Um, go, I can't believe I, I actually, ate that. Um, I'm not that adventurous of an eater. Not that I'm afraid of it. I just I'm not a very big meat person, and that's usually where like the weirdness comes into play. I think I. I don't know. I also love animals and I didn't want to eat them. Like my mom had kangaroo and zebra and then we went to the safari and saw how beautiful they are. And then she felt bad. Yeah. And so <laughs> I never did I the didn't, insects um, or anything, the insects in Asia or anything like that. Uh, I mean, I've had grasshoppers and stuff right. too. Um, but I mean, remember I'm from Mexico or my family's from Mexico. So I grew up on Mexican food. So we eat tongue and and yeah, yeah. stomach lining and all that weird stuff. Right. Um, but the weirdest thing I've ever seen was in uh, Peru, which it were the the guinea pigs that. Oh yeah, I yeah, I did that once. You ate it? At, yeah, I mean, I was trying to. You know, it was a big thing with the locals. I was, you know, with some, and they're like, "You got to try this." You know, I'm just like, "Okay." And it was a lot of, um, I don't know, it's a lot of work for not a whole lot of payoff. You know what I mean? Yeah, it didn't say I could do it and just as the experience, but it was just like, I don't need to have it again. (laughs) You know, I I certainly don't need to have it again. Oh, Um, I can tell you the weirdest thing that I drank, though, um, in in Fiji, outside of our hostel, they were doing this like gathering ceremony just for fun, playing music. And so my mom, my mom was with me. And so we were like, let's go join. And so we sat in a circle. And they had kava root, which they put into a bucket, chopped the root up, and it became like a like dirty looking water. And then they took a, a piece of cloth that looked like a sock that had the, the root in it. And so they were kind of soaking it in to get infuse it into the water. And then they put it into a half a coconut shell. And then you pass it around, you take a drink, and you say like a little chant or something. But my mom and I were joking that it looked like dirty sock water that we were drinking, <laughs> but it was supposed to give you this sort of like buzz because Kavaru itself is a very anti-anxiety type of um, thing. It didn't really, we didn't drink that much for it to have an effect, but it was um, an experience that my mom and I talk about quite often. <laughs> <laughs> What's aside from Mexican food, which is the most common answer I get from anywhere, anybody who travels around the world, any of Mexican, I would go, what do you miss the most? And what's the first thing you eat when you come back to America? Besides Mexican food, because that's the most common answer. What do you have? Is there one thing you like crave? That's uh, expats and the most, all the expats I've talked to. uh, When I say, what do you miss? Like usually Mexican food is high up on the list because I've made the mistake of ordering it in various places around the globe and it's horrible. 
it's horrifying. Once you get out of Mexico and the U.S., it's not good usually. <laughs> and plus, we're spoiled, especially because your mom, your family, you know, yeah. you're used to good Mexican food. And it is yeah. not good in a lot of what they call Mexican food is really bad. And yeah, know. I know that it's not a common cuisine, obviously, in other countries. Um, but um, they mess it up. It's just like, no, you had to convince them. Like I'm in Germany going, oh, they go, oh, I don't like Mexican food. I go, no, what you're eating here is horrible. So I wouldn't like that either if that's what you think Mexican food is. You know, so just like when you have real Mexican food, they're like, oh, this is good. Like, yeah, exactly. It's really diverse, (laughs) like amazing food, like for a country, you know, the whole country. It's like, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I wasn't going to say Mexican food anyways, but, um, that's, that's a hard question. Um, I, there's a lot of comfort food that I have that I obviously don't get while I'm traveling. Um, but I'm a very cautious eater while traveling. So there's many countries where I don't eat the chicken. Chicken is one of the few meats that I do eat. And so I do miss just like my mom roasting some chicken for me. (laughs) Um, I'm a very healthy eater. So there's countries where like a lot of the times it's just really fried. And that's another thing about like India It's really hard for me to find food that, you know, didn't upset my stomach because I'm usually like not very heavy eater on grease and stuff. So having just like, and also a lot of places I travel to, you can't have lettuce or any of the, yeah. the vegetables and stuff, unless you like clean and wash it yourself or figure out how yeah in what kind of water yeah that's the yeah so honestly this is a very boring answer that probably none of your guests will ever answer but it's like a good big chicken topped salad with chicken and and a bunch of stuff in it (laughs) yeah i was wondering like i feel bad for vegetarians and stuff when they go to south america when they're just like you're in argentina and they're just shoving steak in your face like every day (laughs) and just like oh my god i can't have any more steak, please. No. Yeah. And there's a so whole, meat heavy. there's a whole like, um, community of vegan vegetarian travelers. And actually you'll be surprised on how many places there are ve- a lot of vegan food, uh, or vegetarian food. At least I remember being in, um, Peru and there was many vegan restaurants that we would go and try to. So it's becoming a, a thing a little bit more here and there, but it depends on what country too. Cause I would yeah. say a lot of them are very, um, straightforward with, with meats. Right. And in the cities you can find anything pretty much, but it's just like, once you get out of the big cities and then it's like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, what I can order here. Um, <laughs> Okay, before we wrap up, I just want you to like, you know, talk about when people go to your website and if they want to hire you for anything, what are they getting? And if they want to be a travel coach themselves, what do they have to do? And is there, you know, we haven't talked about price or anything like that, but is there a cost to this? Yeah, well, if uh, if there's any tourism and hospitality companies who are interested in working with me on up-leveling their marketing or their wellness-related experiences, Um, I have a different approach to how we talk to and attract and build loyalty with travelers than the traditional quote unquote selling travel um, or the idea of wellness travel in the sense of yoga, gyms, spas and retreats. Um, They can find me at my website, which is um, WTTC Consulting um, or WTTMConsulting.com. but then if anyone's interested in becoming a travel coach on the Travel Coach Network and yeah, the certification, it does have a price to it. Um, we sometimes run promotions on it, but it's an investment into building your business and building what you, you know, really are we're looking for from the beginning, which is what I get a lot of responses um for those. I have many travel agents who are in the program who combine their work as a travel agent with how they up-level their services um, and incorporate travel coaches. But I'm surprised by the day of who joins many medical experts prescribing what they call travel prescription, prescribing time time in uh, nature, which is they were doing a lot of that in in the UK um, during the pandemic and stuff too. So it's really interesting seeing how people combine travel coaching with their businesses. That's great. And we'll have links to all these sites at uh, at our site at traveltalespodcast.com along with your your picture there. And what do you think, like, just a quick answer. I always 
interested to see what professionals think of this. Like in the long run, you've seen the evolution of social media and its effect on travel. Social media, good or bad for travel? What do you think? You think it's helped or has it been bad for it? I think, I mean, the sh- if you want a short answer, I think it's good. If I gave an, a more in-depth answer, I don't think it's good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. has its, um, you know, I think it's really helped inspire people to go somewhere. But the way that it's used and even with TikTok on the rise of short form content and the what of a destination is being presented, again, goes back to us when we were talking about not showcasing the reality or even how beneficial a place could be for someone. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. And finally, what do you think of all this, the travel and where you've seen and all the places you've been? How has it changed you as a person and how has it affected how you see the world and other people? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Well, I always say travel is my greatest professor um, and it really taught me. I honestly don't know who I would be or what kind of life I would have right now if I wasn't a traveler. Um, It shaped me into who I am and what my life looks like, but it has the values that I have and the morals that I have, my moral compass is based off of what I've learned and experienced while traveling. Um, you see things that you um, put things into perspective for you and you gain perspective on things that um, you otherwise wouldn't. And um, how I treat people, how I you know, appreciate what I have, I appreciate what other people have that we you know, wish to be had in our country, um, our ways of living, what the value of money, um, you know, how, you know, generosity and all of this stuff, um, what matters and what doesn't matter versus material things, what happiness, um, the visiting these different countries and talking to all these different locals and having these different experiences has really shaped every viewpoint and, and value that I have now. That's great. Well, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you uh, spending your morning talking to me or your afternoon (laughs) where you are. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. And uh, we'll look for you. The Travel Coach Network, right? Yep. Super. Sahara Rose DeVore, everybody. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks.